Welcome back. Season two, episode one, Lulu Logic Podcast. How have y'all been doing? I tell you what, I've taken a couple months off, get my mind right, handling business in Texas, but I'm back. I'm back, I'm refreshed, and I got a great guest today. But before that, I got some big news coming soon. I've been working on this big project behind the scenes that I can't wait to share with you. It's coming soon. I promise you that. But first, today, I'm talking to one of my former teammates. It's good to catch up with with guys that were, were teammates of yours. But you know, until I went digging in his background and looking at his accolades from high school and college, I knew the dude was a baller, but I didn't know he had all of these accolades. Man, we're going to talk about that and so much more. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for supporting me. And welcome to season two of the Lulu Logic Podcast. Without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Welcome back to season two of the Lulu Logic Podcast. And today's guest is from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Went to the University of Massachusetts. I hope I say that right, because I always mess it up. And he was a DB. He's the all-time leading interceptions leader, or all-time interceptions leader at UMass. He was the first, he's first all, first team All-American, Atlantic 10, player of the year, or defense player of the year, and he finished his college career with 20 interceptions. You see, it's been a minute since I've been doing these introductions, man. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just slashing this up. But he went undrafted to the Baltimore Ravens, then to the Calgary Stampeders, where he was the team's most outstanding defensive player of the year two times before winning a great cup in his second season. Then he went to Hamilton Ticats in his fourth season of the CFL. Welcome to the show, Shannon James. Shay J, what's up, brother? What's up, man? Appreciate you having me on, man. Man, it's a blessing having you on. You know, um, I was going through your Wikipedia and just seeing some of the stats, man, and I was like, dude, I would have never known. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, I knew you get the pros all that out the window. I knew you was a baller, though. You know, even early on, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But your whole Wikipedia, man, is just straight stats. Yeah. Ain't nothing about you on there. It's just straight stats. <laughs> This All-American, this All-American, this uh, newspaper, uh, sports, you know, the sports talk radio man of the year. You know, you got everything. Yeah, I was I was like 10 minutes of compliments. Yeah, I was pretty decorated back then, you know. So what do you think? What's your favorite accolade that you've ever received? Um. I would have to say when I was the Atlantic 10 defense player of the year. Atlantic 10 defense player of the year? Yes, because I was a junior. And that year there were a couple guys in the conference who were drafted and played several years in the NFL. So when I won that award, it was kind of like, wow. Um, you know, that was, that was a major accomplishment because I didn't, I thought I knew I had a chance, but to see to, to actually win it and beat out some guys that I knew were good ball players, that was a, a great accomplishment for me. That's good, man. He's all American too. First team all American. 
that's a that's a great honor, man. Because when you really think about it and look out at how many Division One players there are, and to be a first team All American, especially coming out of a UMass, right? Like to get that recognition, you got to do almost twice as much as somebody else at a at a power school. Right, you know that. You know you come from yeah. level. Yeah, it's 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 you don't get that respect, man. You you know you get, you definitely got to do twice as much. And then when you play the one eight teams, you got to really ball. That's how you really get put all American as a one double A kid. When you play the one A's, you got to go off. You got to be the best player on the field. Otherwise, they look at you like or oh, whatever. You play one double A. So yeah. yeah that's, that's what really got me on the map. You know um Adrian Zulu, Zulo? That's my guy, yeah. He was a he was a he was a junior when I came in. As you still freshman. you still talk to him? No, I haven't talked to I haven't talked to Zulo in, in years, man. But so you know, my rookie year, Zulo was a rookie receiver in Calgary, too. So I know Adrian uh from way back when, man. He's a crazy dude. Yeah, crazy dude. Story <laughs> by him. When I had got Double? up there, yeah, seventeen. You know, you know, you all state. Every, you know, coming to high school, you think you're the man and all that good stuff. So I, I played corner like my first week of um, college. So I lined up on this this little white boy. He like five seven, one forty. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm I'm finna I'm finna throw him to the water coolers. And man, look here, bro. He ran a straight go. He hit me off the line, boom. And you know when you beat, you got like you when you got makeup speed, that panic speed, you faster. Yeah. And I noticed when he was running the go route, I wasn't gaining though. He was actually separating. So he caught the pad, you know, touchdown. I get back on the side. Like the vets was like, um, the veterans was like, hey, man, why you press them? I said, what you mean? So you don't know who that is? I said, nah, they, that's cool. he was the national champ in 100 meters. I said, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, man. <laughs> why y'all ain't tell me that before my rep? Y'all gonna tell me after the rep? Man, he made me hey, look so bad, run. bro. That man, I, if you see somebody that little, and not to not to be offensive, but a, a white kid that little, you don't think he's a national champ in the hundred meters in high school? That don't cross your mind. And man, he took man. When I tell you he took off, that's the last time I estimated somebody else. I tell you that. Yeah, when we was rookies together, man. I remember we used to walk to the train and stuff. He used to hang with me and Salacio. and yeah, he's funny, man. Funny dude. Yeah. I've always yeah. tried to look him up, see if he was on like Facebook, and so I know he's doing something right now. He got to be in some. <laughs> he come over and get sandwiches from our crib and stuff. I'm like, man, Zulu, you don't eat your house, man. You... Right, man. <laughs> no, I like little Zulu. Florida boy. Hey, do you keep up with the CFL yeah, at all? Cool dude. When I first retired, I did a lot, yeah. a lot. But since probably like in the last, Years, um, mm -hmm. when when it, when the games are on before I watch them, you know, and then I keep in contact, you know, with some of our former team and see how I was going. But um, in the last three years since my since you know I, I've been doing my business thing, I really haven't had time to really sit down and, and follow the CFL like that. 
Well, they just announced today they're looking at a partnership with the XFL. What do you, what would you initially think about that if the CFL and the XFL create a partnership? For me personally, I would say no because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I feel like the CFL, besides the NFL, is the greatest football league in the world. 100%. You know, so if they were if they were doing a partnership with the NFL and working something out, that'd be a little different. But to join the XFL is like ah, you know, I don't know about that because the CFL is a is a great game and it's already popular up there and it's become, becoming more popular here. And the reason why I know it's becoming more popular here is because a lot of people ask me, well, how do my how does my such and such get into the CFL? How do they get a workout, look out? As to where I was coming up out of college, I never even knew about the CFL. Yeah. You know, that's how I know it's growing here as well. You know? I'm 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 a hundred percent with you on that, man. It's just like you know, I just think they're just driving it into the ground. I mean, I know that the pandemic has, has been rough for a lot of people, you know, even your business. Uh, but when you look at joining leagues, and I mean, when you have a total different rule set, um, you have something that's very, has been around 20, over 20 years longer than the NFL, right? And I just think they never chose to figure out a way to grow together. And that's where they have to get to the players and the owners. But um, I don't know what's going to happen, man. But I just I sit here and look at it and just think like I don't know what kind of partnership they could create because you can't intertwine the leagues unless you turn the XFL and the CFL rules, right? Where's the partnerships go? Like where does that go? Like are you going to split revenue or are you going to split TV time or or CFL going to create these TV avenues off the XFL? And those are just the questions because, like you said, it's the second best league because any other league you go to, you're not playing against guys like you're playing in the CFL or NFL. Correct. And I just seen an interview the other day um, with Derek Moncrief, who plays uh, for the Oakland or Vegas Raiders now. He talks about how the CFL is faster than the NFL, which everybody's a size down. So Mm -hmm. it makes that more interesting to know that, you know, the game probably is going to be a little bit faster. You know, like you were DB and you come to CFL and play uh, Sanum, which right. is a hybrid linebacker. Right, right. It's, it's so. um, I think, you know, I tell people all the time, the, uh, even, like you said, it's a size down because most of the DBs in the CFL are, are corners or really small safeties that are fast. As in the NFL, your corners, a lot of corners can run, and some safeties can run, but a lot of safeties are hybrid linebackers yeah. that you just put in the box because they got a little better coverage skills or they're a little more athletic. You know what I'm saying? So all your receivers in the CFL, most of them are shifty, fast guys. You know what I'm oh. saying? So, you know, um, in that regard, I think it is, you know, it's, it's a more, um, more athletic game as far as, the the not the quality athlete, but there's more athletes, shifty athletes on the field in the CFL. That's for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. How's how's So Bala? Is it So Bala? So Bala? I could never. So, I so, never know. <laughs> so Baya. Yeah, probably got some. Yeah, probably got some silent vowels and letters in there. <laughs> so it's um, 
is so baila. So baila is to dance in Spanish. Bailar is to dance in Spanish. So baila is dancing. Baila mo. Soul come from. Let the rhythm there take control. You baila mo. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just didn't. I never put two and two together. So, yeah. So the the soul part is the three black owners. You know, the baila part is. You know, my wife is Puerto Rican. My kids are half Puerto Rican, and my um. My, one of my partners, his daughters have black um, with Puerto Rican and Dominican. So that's where the bylaw came in. That was for the family aspect of it. But um, it's been, um, you know, we opened in um, April 2019. And that first year, we didn't even get a full year in before the pandemic hit in March of 2020. But um, it was very successful. It was, it was the hot spot around here around Connecticut, it just became, it blew up extremely fast. And I'm talking so, about fast, like from the first night on. So tell people about off. the vibe. What would the vibe be? So if I'm coming there for the first time, what vibe am I looking for when I come up in there? So you look, it, it's the, it's a grown people vibe. So if you, if you 21, 22, it really might not be for you. It could be, um, we got the food, the good music, Everybody's dressed nice. And that's the kicker, right? So we got a dress code every day. So there's no mm. sneakers, no hats, no athletic wear. So you get a lot of corporate people in there, young professionals of all races, um, which is what we wanted to do from the from the jump. You really don't want to, um, you know, we all been to hood spots and yeah. we all been upscale spots where you getting majority one crowd whether you, either way you look at it. We want to do something where you get all crowds, all races, all ages. We'll have a 25-year-old birthday party and a 50-year-old birthday party at the same time frame, same night. Everybody gets the same vibe. So the music is, you're going to get R&B, you're going to get old school hip-hop, you're going to get new school hip-hop, you're going to get a little trap, you're going to get reggaeton, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get everything. And, and, Everybody just have a good time. You don't got to worry about watching your back and having to deal with bullshit going on. It's all a good vibe in there. You know, everybody get along. So, you know, everybody warm and welcoming. It's, it's, it's something different that came to Connecticut in general. Yeah. What's your, what's your, what's your number one food item? I would have to say the lobster mac and cheese, but that thing, that thing go like hotcakes. That lobster mac and cheese, brother. That that thing go like hotcakes. Um, I could definitely come for some lobster mac and cheese. Yeah. That <laughs> don't exist all, in Texas. That don't exist huh? in Texas. That don't exist in Texas. Yeah, you don't get much lobster in Texas like that. Say it don't. No. Yeah. See, we on you know we on that we on the coast, so um, yeah. But that all the food is good, and that's been um. That's been what held us up because at one point we was known as the we known for the nightlife really well, you know the lounge field, the club field. But when the pandemic hit, when you can only do takeout and you can only do dining, a lot of people was like, "Damn, I didn't know the food was this good." So to be yeah. able to function, to be able to function as a full-on restaurant is amazing. That just lets you know we are, we are hybrid. We can do everything. We can be a club. We can be a lounge. We can be a restaurant. We've succeeded in all areas, as well. Some people can only succeed in nightlife. They can only do club things. They don't have food, or the food ain't good. Or some people can't be a lounge or a club because 
they just don't have that type of vibe. We give we give everything. Whatever you coming there for, you're gonna get. Man, I, I would have never I would have never guessed you to be a restaurant owner when we were playing, when we were teammates. Me neither. <laughs> like, is it not crazy? Like Shay J, the restaurant owner. Where'd he come well, from? Well, after foot, you know, after football was over, you know, you go through that little depression stage, you're like, damn, what am I gonna do next? I can't believe it's over, especially when you out of the game before you think you should be out of the game. Like yeah. you played a career, I'm sure in your career, you like, I'm I'm ready to hang it up. You know, like yeah. I, I've been doing it a long time. I wasn't ready to hang it up, you know, so it was different for me. So me and uh one of my college boys, he actually he came in when I was leaving, but I used to come back to UMass in the offseason. We was doing like mansion parties, me, him, and my brother. And the mansion parties I took seen off. those. Yes, bro. I'm talking like 400 people. So we was like, man, we could really make something out of this. So can you explain that real quick? Because I seen I seen you doing that on social media. I see mm-hmm. pictures of you walking around and doing stuff. Can you explain what was going on? So we just said, we know a lot of people, you know, I've, I'm not from Hartford, but I moved up here in like 2013. But my one of my partners was already up here. So he knew a lot of people. And, you know, for me just going out and meeting people, I started meeting a lot of people. So then we just said, let's, hey, let's, let's try to have a magic party. But let's change it up. Let's do like a dress code, all that, that, that. We put it out there, found a couple of promoters that was big time out here. And it just, it blew up faster than we thought. You know, we think, you know, 150 people, it turned out to be 400 people. And it opened our eyes like, man, you know, we could we could do something with this. How do you get the so mansion? We, huh? How'd you get the mansion? Did you know somebody that owned so, the mansion or? It was, it was a, it's a mansion that does wedding venues. Okay. It's like a wedding venue, man. So we um we just called up, we was calling around, we called over there and they gave us a good price. And um actually one of the promoters had done a party there before, like years ago. And he's like, try this place out. So we went over there, boom, we got the mansion at the price we wanted, we threw it, and it was a, it was a success. So then we said, okay, let's do another one. So then, like a year later, we did another one, but this is like a real mansion, like somebody's house. And when I tell you, Nick. At 10.30, right? We opened the doors like nine. We we sold like 200 pre-sale tickets. So we had to tell the promoter to stop because we don't know if we could fit everybody. And by, by 10.30, it was 80-something cars in the driveway. Mm. Driveway was a quarter mile long. And man, people just cut coming and coming and coming. It got so bad that people was blocking people's driveways. <laughs> <laughs> The driver we had was a quarter mile. People yeah. couldn't pull in no more. So they start side of the street. And now neighbors is like my driveway blocked and the cops came and they say, no, everything cool. Just people got to move their cars. And, you know, somebody in the crowd, you know, somebody said something stupid. The Henny was in them. And the cops said, yeah, all right. Yeah. That being said, y'all, y'all shut it down now. But we knew mm. we was on. We like. So then I said, I said, Fonz, I said, what you want to do next? He said, well, yo, my, my dad owned the building of the Empire Hookah Line. And I said, okay. I said, what? Why you didn't say nothing before? I was like, well, shit, it's too late now. What are we doing? 
And I said, all right, let's do it. So then Jeremy Miles, so Jeremy's ex-wife, my wife is best friend. So I knew Jay since 2007. So Jay had retired from the NFL. He played five years, six years. So Jay from New Jersey, his ex-wife is from the same town. My wife's from in Massachusetts. So they just happened to move to Windsor. And I'm in Manchester and Fonz in Windsor. So Jay called me one. We was going out with every kicking it. Jay called me one day. He said, yo, I want to get down with y'all. So I'm like, cool. And then we walked to the Empire Lounge. Jay said, yo, I got a vision. I'm looking at Jay. I mean, this place was it was shitty, Nick. I'm talking about it was it was bad, man. And Jay was, I said, bro, I don't know what vision you're talking about, but <laughs> too visionary that can see a vision out of nothing. Bro, I'm talking about it's was bad. He he already he was already in the real estate, so he already seen walls get knocked down and demolition happening and demo happening and redo. He's already seen all that. I'm new to this, like, how we gonna do all this? Yeah. And man, we got the tech, set it up. So at the beginning, us three was doing all the labor, picking up the floors, knocking down some of the walls. We were just in there grinding. I'm talking about three, four in the morning, not sleeping. So it finally started coming to fruition, man. And before you know it, we hiring staff, getting all the equipment going to the city to get everything open, the permits, everything, before you know it, bro, April 2019 was here, and here we are, man. That's awesome. It's crazy. That's awesome. You know what? It's it's all about relationships you build. What I'm doing now, it's all about the relationships that I built um, through my career with all the people that, that I was around. And it's just a good feeling, man, when you can build good relationships. Meet new people and people get good vibes, and you can you can parlay that into something so much more. It is, man. It's just and to do it with two dudes, two of my bros that I've known for thirteen years, fourteen years. Yeah, you know, these weren't just some 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 from fellas I met off the street, and we we was I watched, I babysit Jay's daughter. He babysit my kids. They all, you know, it's not like uh, I just met these. I've known these. We've known each other since we was kids. Yeah. You know, fresh out of college, and they were like freshmen in college when I met them. You know, so it was, it was just a blessing that we all happened to move in the same area, and we and and the thing about us three, man, it's no ego, right? We all yeah. done been stars, we all done made a little money, we all done did what we had to do. So it's not like one person trying to prove something to the other person, or I'm the big dog, or you not the, you know, it's just listen, man. We know where we came from. We know how hard it was to start this thing. Yeah. So everybody gonna eat, everybody gonna be good. Right, right. And that's when you see a lot of partnerships break up. Ego start fall and, and people start feeling themselves. And we'll be the first to check one another. Bro, no, it's not going on, you know. So, so we we don't have to call John Taffer to come over there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go to let's go to the let's go to the start of your career, or not just your career, but start of life. Growing up in Connecticut, mm-hmm. what was it like growing up there? When did you get into sports, and, and just what was the feeling? Well, it was, you know, um, 
my mom and dad had, you know, they was they divorced when I was like three. So at the time, I was mom. I, we was living in Bridgeport, and then they divorced. My mom was living. In, they both still live in Bridgeport, but they was in separate houses. And then um, Bridgeport is like um, a lot of people. If you're not from Connecticut, you don't know. So yeah. there's um, Bridgeport wasn't a. It was in the top 25 most dangerous cities in America yeah. when I was coming up. And my mom, and I already had a bad attitude. I was already a rough kid. You know, I, she just, she knew like, it wasn't gonna be a good place to keep me if I wanted to be, if she wanted me to stay out of trouble. So my mom got a twin sister who got three sons. So by the time I got into sports, you know, age five, six, she kind of, um, Told my kind of, and my mom was working three jobs, right? She's single mom, mm. so you know, she kind of, you know, moved me with my aunt. Like this would be a better situation for him. But mind you, mom was always there. You know, it just you can't leave a kid alone at home at six, seven years old. My aunt has out of her three sons, one's ten years older than me, one's eight years older than me. So okay, they was so always the babysitters until me and my yeah, yes. And her youngest son was, is four months older than me. So once the oldest who left the house, me and him was already old enough to take care of ourselves. So at that point, you know, I started on, um, I was always good in sports, you know, from the age of five, but I was a three sport kid. I was playing, you know, back then you could play three sports. Now these kids yeah. play four, you know? Play one. Yeah, <laughs> play one. But back then it was, I loved all three. I yeah. All three. Then I started, um, you know, I went in New England championships in football. We we beating everybody. Baseball, I'm taking off. We going to regionals and winning regionals, going to, you know, little, little, like Pony League World Series and stuff like that. And, <clears throat> you know, life was, we didn't have everything, but life was good because it was the love that the family had. And my dad's side of the family was still around. You understand? They never abandoned me. Right? So, I got brothers, all my brothers on my dad's side and my mom's side. So I always saw my dad's side. I always saw my mom's side. But um, so life was good, man. It was the family love and the sports was hit, right? So, you know, people start saying, this kid gonna be something, this kid gonna be something. So then I get to high school and, um, you know, I, clearly everybody in, in, the, in the city knows who you know who you are because of your, your prowess in, you know, youth sports. Yeah. I start all three sports as a sophomore, but I'm excelling in baseball at okay. a high level. At a, at a high, high level. And then, um, you know, then I start selling in football, basketball, you know, and everything start hitting. Now I'm getting recruited, everything going on. And um, then baseball, my junior year, I led the state in home runs and RBIs. So then, like, now the pros is coming around to watch me. They come into the games. So now I'm like, well, man, I, you know, my mom like, well, maybe you want to play baseball. <laughs> I'm like, nah, mom, you know. <laughs> you know, mom, mom, you always mom, baby boy. She wants you to get hurt playing football. So she always yeah. maybe you want to play baseball. And that you baseball so, money, that baseball um, money be hidden. Listen. That's all guaranteed, but 
And then after my senior year, I had committed to UMass, right? Well, I committed to Maryland. Vandalin got fired. Freedom came in. They didn't want me. All World One started happening. Then, like, Buffalo started coming at the tail end. You, and a lot, then a lot of, like, one delay schools started coming. Ended up committing to UMass. was the best decision of my life. And, but then the, um, basically the major league came around saying he's going to be a draft pick. Now, if he decides to not go to UMass, he'll go in the top 10 rounds. If he decides to go to UMass, he's going to fall. Obviously, we're not going to reach a draft pick on somebody who's committed to play football. And it's what, kind of, what kind of baseball player were you, though? Like, were you, what, what position did you play? You played outfield? Second base shortstop. I had great Second hands. Second base shortstop? Great hands, quick to the ball. Um, but I was, I was, that wasn't what got me. It was my hitting ability. Like, I was yeah. a 5'6", average in high school. I had power, speed. I had, I led the state in stolen bases, home runs, RBIs, triples. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. I was all over the place, man. I was all over the place. And then I played in the nutmeg games, and I hit a home run off a kid who the Reds came to see. He was throwing like 90. I took him deep, pop, out of here. And then they was like, whoa, who's this kid? I ended up going like four for four off. That's when everything started going. So um, I, I told my high school coach, I said, no, I'm sold. I'm playing football. I'm not playing baseball. You ever think about it? Like why, like? Oh shit, Nick, every I day. <laughs> Cause you, I know some people that go get a million, two million, three million dollar signing bonuses at a high school at a high for baseball. School. But yeah. then, but then they only make like twenty thousand a year in the minors. So you have to really watch how you spend that money, right? right? And you and and just listen to the whole Kyler Murray story, right? When he was coming out of Oklahoma like going to play MLB or go to uh, the NFL. And it said, he's got to wait five years to make, he'll be making this money, but in five years he go to arbitration and then he can make the big money and all that. But it's almost like you don't really go pro in baseball, even though you go pro until you're 30. Right. Unless so that's a 12 year to- grind that they're going to yeah. give you some money up front. But, I know, I know, unless you were in the Mike Trout, Bryce Harper type of, you know, caliber, yeah. that's a different story. But there's a kid I know from my high school that led the NCAA in home runs, right? He was, he, he was, he, I think he tied my record in high school ball, home runs in the season. Great player. I think he's still in like AAA. <laughs> he ought to be 30, 32, 33. He went, and he went out of high school. He'd been in there 12 years. Mm. I don't know patient, especially when I know I'm, I'm really good and y'all playing with me. I don't know if I had a patient to keep playing and grinding like that. And I know I should be at a higher level, but I don't regret the, the life lessons I learned playing football and the people I met and winning the great cup playing in Canada. hundred percent. I don't regret none of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that was life changing for me. Like it yeah. was, it was, who knows what happened in base? Who knows? You know, nobody knows. So, but so you know, most of the schools that you named were all up in the north. You know, with the Buffalo and and everybody that when you were considered college. 
was that just so you could stay closer to home or what was your mindset on picking a college to go to and, and picking UMass? Like, do you remember what you were going through at that point? Well, when I committed to Maryland, I didn't care about the distance. I wanted to go to the best school was, that was fit for me. So Maryland's not that far though, but I knew, but I also want to stay close enough to where my mom could, and my family could see me play. Mind you, they never missed a game in my career since I was five. Mm. My mom missed a game. Only time she missed a game, first game she missed was when the sniper was going around, DC, the DC sniper. Yep. We played James Madison in Virginia that week. That's the only game she missed. I told her mom, nah, he shoot people in his trunk. He did all type of wild shit. Nah, we don't forget. <laughs> The DC nah. sniper better not be black. <laughs> That's how we used to say. That's how we say in Texas. The sniper better not be black. And look, he was he, he black. He was oh, he looked black. black dude and his son shooting people out the trunk of their car. Huh? They were shooting people yeah, out the trunk of their car to the shoot to the hole. Trunk. Come on, man. Nah, don't come. That's the first game she missed, bro. I was a junior or something, and then before I got to Canada, but. That was so that was a big factor in my decision, too. But UMass, the guy who recruited me, Coach Keith Dzinski, is from Bridgeport. And his brother, see, I went to Bunnell and Stratford, and I okay. love Stratford. I consider I consider Stratford my hometown because Stratford embraced me, took me in, and they just were there. Like the people who helped me in Stratford are just um like people that I, I I'm in I'm indebted to because the things they did for me and believing in me, even though my early child was in Bridgeport, Stratford is what made me who I am. Yeah. As far as being level headed and you see good, bad, but it's not like you seeing terrible, terrible, but you seeing stuff enough to know, you know, but also the people that helped me get to where I am, man, you just there's no price tag on that. And yep. You know, I, I let you know. So, but he was from Bridgeport, but his brother coached at Stratford High, our rival. So he already knew my life story. So when he came to recruit me, you know, you you want you want that home feeling. Like he made me and my mom feel like, listen, he's from my he's from where I'm from. I'm gonna take care of him. Yeah. And that's what really got me. You know, and, that's the crazy part like, about college football now. Like, you know, when I tell talk to parents, you know, training kids for the last 14 years and talking to parents about fit, where do I fit? Not going to a school because you like a school, not going to because you like the colors or because they're a Nike or Adidas or or whatever the case is. But being able to go to a school because you feel something like it fits, you fit their scheme that coaches like, because they're really, they're really almost like an extension of your parents. Exactly. They're the, they're the caretakers of you while you're on that campus. Right. Right. They're not going to tell you what to do all the time or get up, do this. Like you got to do it yourself, but that's that transition point from mm -hmm. your parents to being a grown man or grown woman is right. that college coach that comes and sits in that in your living room and tells you, that they're going to take care of you and that, you know, we're going to pay for your school or we're going to take care of you or this is what we want, you know. There's that transition point. And these coaches now, they just leave so quick. It's, it's, 
it's more of a, it, it, it was always a business. Yeah. But you really see the business side now. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's bad. Like it's almost, and that's why you, you get more of, we should pay these college kids because that wasn't the talk of that much when we were playing. But now you can no. see it's like, y'all, they, these coaches they got no loyalty. They just, and I've seen it even like when I went to UMass because Coach Whip was a great coach, offensive guy. And he left after my sophomore year. And then, I mean, Whip didn't talk too much because he was a good guy. And then Coach Brown came in, Don Brown. That's my guy right there, man. Former defense coordinator for Michigan. Okay. Coach Brown was on some. That's when my career really took off because he, I looked at him like a father figure. Like, Nick, he'll be like, what you doing? You got class? Nah. Come down to the office, man. Let me talk to you, man. Just randomly, man. And it'd be like, and then you start talking about life. It's like me and you talking right now. Yeah. But a couple times a week. And it's like a father. Now you're talking about a father figure. You pour into people. Right. And a guy who believes in you. He he told me one time, man, he said, you're going to be the best defensive player in this league. I'm looking at him like, bruh. Who else you tell this? Who else you tell this line to, man? It's like when you talk to a female. You tell <laughs> you don't said the th- <laughs> same line three times in one night. He <laughs> used that line ten times a night, and he really believed it though, because you could tell by the way he was calling his defense was to put me in position to make big plays. Yeah. So then you get, I'm not gonna let him down. So, you know, like like you were saying, it's just. Picking the college was that had a lot to do with it with the with the home feeling for Coach Tzinski too. Yeah, coaching coaching plays a big role. I didn't realize it all the time, like because in college I always had GAs. So Division two school, we had um, I had a different GA as my receiver coach every year. So it's another oh, wow. guy that was in their low twenties. Mm-hmm. They really just fresh out. They're just they're real, you know, they're just a graduate assistant. They're, mm-hmm. you know, what are they really teaching us, right? Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, they learned a couple things. They're going to come out there, do some drills, mm-hmm. do this, do that. And for me, I always felt like it was my compete level. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to Calgary, it was the same thing. It was like, well, I didn't have, like, college receiver coaches. Right, And I right, get to right. Calgary and, you know, Craig Dickinson, Dickinson, mm-hmm. Dave's brother, was my first receiver coach, right? So same thing. You know, we we get to do the drills. We get to do things. Um, I kind of go through the motions at times. I do some things at times. But it was just that evolution of having Cope and Rambo and them come in that really taught me how to work mm-hmm. at practice, mm-hmm. right? When you see other people work at practice, it's like, okay, this is what it is to be a pro. This, you got to go out here and work. Right. You know what I'm saying? I had some success early, but it's just off talent. But then when you get people to, you you get people to come out here and show you to work every day. Yeah. That's what it is. And, and it's the same thing. So for you to have that coach to come in, one that showed belief in you that gave you even more belief in yourself to go out there and put it out there. And he puts you in position because, you know, as coaches, you can put people in position. Don't mean they're going to make plays. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a fact. You know that. Yeah. And the play going to get made. But I had that mindset, I'm not going to let him down. You know, yeah. I'm, he let him down. 
Atlantic 10 Defensive Player of the Year followed that, man. Right. You went out Sam, there and did it. Damien, we played we, – uh, you can ask any of my teammates. Ask Karan Hill. We in the locker room before we played BC. And Coach Brown, we about to walk out there, Coach Brown said, I had a dream last night that, Shannon, you had three picks in the game. You had three picks in this game today. Now, why he said that, I don't know. I don't know – I don't know if you really had that dream or not, but let me tell you something. I had three, just one got called back. Mm. And after the game, my teammates was like, bro, is this motherfucker, is he a psychic? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you ask Karan, I'm about to tell you, hey, what's going like, Bro, I really had three, and one got called Karan Williams was there? But, yeah, Ron, Ron, we graduated together. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know he went to UMass. I knew y'all was close in Calgary, but I didn't know where it came from. Yeah, we um, I'm a year older than him. I redshirted, but he came in graduated the same year. Me and Ron played all four years together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's dope, man. That's just oh. super dope. Now, when you were coming out of college, you've had all the success. You the radio, the TV, the newspaper. The everything, all American, all this, all that. When did you start believing that you could play pro ball? And then were you disappointed or did it sidetrack you that you didn't get drafted? So that's a good, that's a very good question, Nick. Cause I really don't talk about it much. I'm a, I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm gonna keep it open with you today. I'm gonna tell you things. Well, they that say in New York, keep it a buck. Only my wife and mom. Keep it. I'm gonna keep it a buck with you, bro. These. I'm telling you some things only my wife know, and my mom probably. Right? And now the so Lulu Logic podcast. I started. Yeah. <laughs> I started believing I could go to the league. End of my junior when I won the Atlantic Defensive Player of the Year. My phone started going crazy with agents. I'm talking about. Agent after agent after agent. And then Coach Brown sent me a couple of media outlets. I got a second round grade. Mm. I have a second round draft grade. I still got articles. You, you can just pull them up. It's still on the internet. And Coach Brown put me in the office. He said, Do you want to leave? Now, mind you, you don't ever see one double A kids leaving early. That's just not, no. that's just unheard of. That's just unheard of. And I said, nah, coach. I said, because I think next year we can win a national championship. And I said, I don't want to leave my dog. You got to remember, I came in with these kids at 17 years old. We about to do our last year together. I didn't feel right. It wasn't about the money for me. It was about, I'm more loyal than about money. I yeah. felt like I owed it to them to stick around. They going to be down. You're losing the best player on defense. You understand what I'm saying? So I said, nah, it didn't cross my mind. I'm staying coach. So the cause is calling the cause. I went to Cali that summer. I worked out. I got so much better. I came back. And I'm balling. I'm still balling, you know. Do you feel more pressure? Draft day, you know, pro. Huh? Did you feel more pressure your senior year? Like, was, it, was there anything on your mind like, look, I could have left last year. I'm coming back for these guys. But now 
am I feeling more pressure with I don't want to get hurt? I still need to improve my numbers. Was that playing through your mind too, or 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 did you not even try to think about it? Never, never crossed my mind. Getting hurt never crossed my mind. I always thought I was. I never missed a game in the pro. I never missed a game in college. I always thought I was like Steel. That's how I got my nickname, Steel. I never got hurt. So that never crossed my mind. The production, I knew I was going to produce because I knew Coach Brown was going to put me in position. I had like three picks in the first two games. So that was out the window. I was already on my on my way. And then yeah. I got hurt in the main game. I got a concussion, separated shoulder. But I played the next game. But I just wasn't the same. Like my strength wasn't the same. I only had like maybe one more pick the rest of the season. I just wasn't the same. But I still, I still played well. And then pro day come around, did well, da da da. So draft day come. Mel Kuyper did a. He called my local paper. He said, "I wouldn't be surprised to see him go second and third round. He's this year's Nick Collins from Bethune Cookman." Mm-hmm. Oh, so you know me, Nick. Ooh, <laughs> we about to get to this bag, baby. <laughs> I'm going. I just know everybody know he's the best safety in double A. Already had. Yeah, he's the best safety. Thinking in my head, first defensive player coming off the board, and when double A is me or second. Man, I start seeing people from the conference get drafted. You know what I'm saying? They calling me. My boy Willie Colon went in the first said, man. If I you gotta be going soon. Man, Baltimore called me in the sixth round, bro. For me, the sixth round would have been like the first overall pick to me. It didn't matter to yeah. me. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to see my name get thrown. Yeah. They said we gonna we gonna take we probably take with the next pick. Go across the screen. They take Derek Martin, corner from Wyoming. I, I, I didn't even know Wyoming was a state, right? The same oh, way you, you remember the names. Kid. You remember the names. Do I? He was my man when I got random girl going to Baltimore because Baltimore had the most interest in him. You could tell how they type of player. They was always around. They got another pick in the sticks. Jay with the next pick. My grandmother's house. I didn't. I didn't want nobody to even um, like be around me. I'm in there with my grandma. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Sam Cook, Hunter from Nebraska. Man, I, I, I left the house, man. I'm crying now. At the time, you took a punter over me? Mind you, he's still there to this day. So that was a great pick right there. But, um, great pick. <laughs> <laughs> no Hindsight 2020. Yeah, I'm crying. I'm walking down the street. My, my grandma live in the hood. I'm in. The, I'm walking down the street. I don't care. It's, you know, I'm walking down the street. I'm mad, crying. They call me there again. So this time it's the the scout who scouted me. He called me first. Yeah, I know you frustrated. Da, da, da. I said, man, look, man. I don't even care if y'all team with the Mr. Irrelevant pick. I don't give a shit. Seventh round, he says, this is going to be you or Ryan LaCash in Syracuse. I found out like? the agent was like, shit, this dude. DN. Oh, okay. He ran like a 10 700. I said, shit, mm. I ain't got this. It's over. A DN ran 
Instead of 100 yards, 100 meters? Sound like Rashard Genty. He took him. Huh? That sound like Rashard Genty. But then he would go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So they, um, they called me. Listen, we want to sign you right now. I'm on some now. Nah, I don't want to go with y'all. Y'all been lying to me for the last two hours. I'm straight. <laughs> well, now the, 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 the Redskins are called and Vikings, Packers, everything. So the Redskins had me really because I was always a Sean Taylor fan. Yeah. And I, but I was also an Ed Reed fan. Mm. So, like, well, listen, Baltimore's been showing the most interesting. Why don't you go there? I ended up signing with him. And when I got there, Nick, I didn't have the right mindset. Like, my mindset was they don't really want me. Mm. Wanted me, you would have drafted me. me. Let, yeah. let me tell you something. Had I got drafted, right, and my confidence was there, like, they really want me, I promise you, Nick, I promise you, the same way I was defensive MVP in Calgary two years, I would have been, I don't know, Pro Bowl, or I'm going to be on the all-rookie team or something. Because i tell you what, I'm, and I'm going off topic a little bit, what got me to play so well in Calgary was Barker. Jim Barker yeah. was like, he told me when I came there, you're going to be the man. I know things didn't work out in Baltimore. I actually met him in Baltimore. He was down at the training camp. You're going to be the man. And then Coach Crean, you know Coach Crean. I'm like, his son. He's the car. Danny, Danny Crean. Hey, he's the son. So he's like, he my, that's, my, that's your dad. But when I got to Baltimore, Nick, I wasn't even into it. Like, and I, my wife would tell you this. I call my wife every day from rookie mini camp. OTAs, every day at training camp. I cried to her on the phone every day in the morning. That I didn't want to be. Mm. It's just every crazy how mindset. It's crazy how the mindset. And then my dad had, right. And it was, I think it was more so, I had been the man so long and I just knew I was getting drafted. Like a lot of people like, I just want an opportunity to leave. I just want an opportunity to No, I knew I was supposed to get drafted. And then my father had got sick during training camp, 06. Like they gave him like five days to live. So mm. then I'm dealing with that I don't give shit now. I really don't give a shit. I didn't give a shit. Um, nobody knew. Like I didn't, I don't nobody knows to this day, except for my wife and my family yeah. who knew what. But I never use that as an excuse as to why I got cut because that's no excuse. I should have been mentally strong enough to deal with it. And, and move on for it. But I was already in a bad state of mind anyway after not being drafted. That really affected me, right? Had I got drafted and my father got sick, I would have been better off because I knew they wanted me. Yeah. But it-, it I always talk about, I always, I always talk about expectation and reality, mm -hmm. right? I've seen guys come into Calgary and, and, and Montreal in the training camp with high expectations and somebody to come in with low expectations and the guy that came in with low expectations ends up getting the job 
because he exceeded expectations with a guy that came in with high expectations. He just didn't exceed his expectations. Didn't, didn't say he didn't play well. It's just this guy is doing more than we thought he could, and this guy is basically who we thought he could. And this guy still might be better. Right. But, right. you know, those are the things. And, and when we look at our lives and we think about expectation, and, and I come from the lowest expectation. Nobody knew who I was coming out of college, coming out right. of D2 and, well, and being the last person signed in Calgary. So it was, I, everything was just that stepping stone, right? Right. So for you, it's like I put in the work. I've done this. I've had the results. I see people that I'm better than, and I right. proved that I'm better than. I'm not, I'm not just thinking I'm better than you. I'm proved it right. for four years that I'm better than you. Right. right? Right. They're going. I'm not going. So now your mindset, the expectations that you built had put you in a situation. And I guess similar, I did a, I did a private workout for Green Bay when I came out. Didn't go as well as I wanted it to wet grass, other stuff. But you know what? I probably wasn't as prepared as I should have been. And, you know, I was projected a fifth-round pick to Green Bay through their, their chat boards and stuff like that. When it didn't happen, it was the same thing, expectation. I'd expected to be going to the NFL. When I went to Canada, I didn't change my thought. But then in 06, when I had 12 teams that wanted me in the NFL, I stayed in Canada because I didn't want to go back to that same situation. You know, so that whole expectations that you were expecting of, I should be getting drafted. Now I'm not drafted, but I'm in the same spot of the team that told me they were going to draft me. Four rounds after I thought I was supposed to be drafted. Right. It was heartbreaking because, like you said, even when I, um, after my 07 season in Calgary, I went and worked out for Tampa Bay. I killed the workout, Nick. They tried to sign me on the spot. And I asked him, I told my agent, I said, Sonny, I just want 50000 up front. Just to give me some type of security blanket. So if y'all was to cut me, at least I would have made it for some of the money I would have made in Calgary had I stayed. They yeah. told me, they told me, we're not giving that to you. This is your opportunity to get back in the league. Mm. I said, y'all bugging. Nah, I'm straight. I see, I see what I know what y'all about to do. I'm good. Brandon Browner but, did the same thing. No signing bonus. No signing bonus. Browner, right? Yeah, no signing bonus. Right? Well, that was his shot. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and had, that's the crazy part, man. People people can see the surface. They can see the sports. They can see people's careers. They don't know the, the in-depth behind the careers. Right. Like what built you? Right. Like what really made you turn that corner? You know, mm-hmm. we talk about coming to Canada. What was your mindset when you came to Canada? Because like you said, you didn't, you didn't know about the CFL. You just went to Baltimore. Now you're coming to the CFL. So what's your mindset going in there? Well, First of all, when I got off the plane, it was it was um, September. Y'all had eight inches of snow. So that's how I'm mean, I mean, I ain't getting I said, hell no. I said, nah, this ain't for me. But the reason why I went was because Karan called me. And he said, hey, bro, I just found out that Calvary wants you too. He said, are you going to go? 
Mike, I'm still distraught for me and Cup in the league. And I said, bro, I'll go if you go. And he said, I'm going. I got no other chance. I'm going. I said, let's do it. Cross the ball. And you could ask him. That's what got me to go. Had Corona baller. So, bro, I don't know if I would have went. Yeah. And my mindset was, I didn't even know. I am thinking I'm going to CFL to play against a bunch of Canadians. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know they had a Nick Lewis, a Jermaine Cooper from Tennessee, a Rambo from Ohio. I didn't know. So you probably get up there I'm like, you looking at the... God, <laughs> that's what happened to this dude, Hello, Michael Bishop. You got all these, you got all these dudes up there. That's what I was. Ricky Williams was up there at the time. Um, Peter Warwick, I didn't Andre Rising. Yes, yeah, so I'm walking in the locker room like I'm finna go off on these dudes. Then I see all the Americans. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how me and people in. Then I go through people's bios on the computer. I'm like, oh, I said, this for real. This is for real. And then we got to start to do it. We stretching and y'all talking like, everybody talking, they from the inner city and they from Texas and Cali. I'm like, oh shit, this is the NFL 2.0. That's all it is. Yeah. You're like, all right, I could, I could do this. Like, you know, I could do this. I, there's people that's just like me. Then I went up for the first practice. I'm in the first practice, and we was doing. I was on the scout team, right? You know, my first day, and I picked off two of Hank's passes to Cope, but I didn't know you're supposed to let y'all catch it. Just be in position. <laughs> so Cope said, "I remember Cope said to me. Cope said, Mike, I don't know Cope. I don't know this yeah. Jermaine Cope, man in tennis. I don't know this." He said. Coach said, "Stop trying to be a stop trying to be a fucking star, right?" <laughs> so, like, I just came from Baltimore. That's how they practice. They yeah. go all right. That's how they practice. You have just to pick it, pick. I said, "Who the fuck are you talking to?" Right? And I think Brett Ralph jumped in between us, right? So Brett was like, "Yo, just be in position. Don't be picking the ball off." You know, he said, you know the route. I said, I, I don't know the route. I'm like, look, I don't even know the fucking route. And the next practice, right, I did it the way it was supposed to be. Because remember, y'all in game mode. Y'all in the season. Yeah. It's not camp and we make it. It's y'all in season already. And, and I remember Coke came up to me. He said, man, he said, you're going to be a good player, man. He said, you're going to be a good player. Because I could tell. And then I did, I said, I did one-on-ones. And they had me going against Ralphie. Now, mind you, Ralphie was a shifty little Canadian. He was hey, curlralph.com. Listen, my, but I don't know none of this, Nick. I'm still mad I got cut. I'm mad about everything. My dad's sick. I'm just mad. When I tell you, like, I had the best one-on-one -on -one session I had in my life. And that's nothing against Ralphie. Ralphie was a hell of a receiver. I didn't mm -hmm. know he was that. I had the best one in my life. And I knew then, like, I belong. Right? Because at that point, my confidence wasn't really like that. I just got cut. You just got yeah. cut from your long drink. You feel like you trash. Right? I mean, that's how I was feeling. 
like you're trash. So that that you know, going up there, that was my mindset. I mean, I thought I was just gonna go up there and just hold on, Nick. I'm sorry. Oh, good. Yeah, man. You know, it's a it's a it's a lot more laid back than NFL. Yeah. You know what you what you're used to experiencing. Um, you know, when we did our compete, we competed hard. Right. But with everything else, man, you want to give a good look and, and do things. And, you know, that was, that was part of the reason, man, you know, Hank throw picks. That's what he do. <laughs> so, but, but Hank not thinking this little young rookie just going to be jumping in the middle of jumping routes. And he thinking I know what I'm doing as far as like doing it the right way. And I don't. Yeah. But tell you what, man, Nick, my time, I tell you, my time in Calgary, bro, was, excuse me one second. My time in Calgary was the best, some of the best years of my life. Besides you, man, it's the best years of my life. Yeah, and it was fun. Once I, once I got, I started playing, because I played two games in 06, and I felt like I was a part of the team. And, you know, we going out, I'm meeting y'all, and y'all meeting, let me introduce me to people, and. Then I'm going against you every practice. Now I'm the same. I'm going against yeah. Nichols every practice. So now I got to be on my A game because and I'm talking. if not, you're going to get embarrassed. Because <laughs> Nick don't said, care. I'm Nick talking. trying to get off. That's what he's going to do. Right. <laughs> I shocked the shit out of everybody in Montreal when I went out there and I started talking at practice. Yeah. We'd like to have a good time. We don't take it personal. Bro, Nick, the year we won in 08, that was the closest Nick team I had ever been on. Yeah. If you think about it, Nick, I never won a, a national title or a state title. But the year we won the Great Cup, I remember talking to um Sankey, Ben Sankey about it. Yep. We was probably, I think we were on that long wish. We won like nine in a row. And Sankey told me we was at Jack. Sankey said, we're going to win it all. I said, why you say that? He said, because this team is so close-knit. We do – I mean, we was going everywhere together. It didn't matter. We'd be at Jack's like 20, 30 deep. Nick, <laughs> off the special team, it didn't matter. Practice squad, non-practice, it didn't matter. Nick, we was always together. And and the fun we had, bro, it was just, man, it was just – that that team, man, that team. I mean, Keon didn't even – Keon was like – practice squad and playing he was off and on me and Keon yeah. was best of buddies yeah because the Keon Sams were you Keon and uh Brandon Isaac yes and, and Keon and Brandon, Brandon Isaac was on and off together like one of them yep. would be up the other would be down yeah yeah and and me and Keon was the best of friends it wasn't awesome oh he's a practice squad guy he off and on I can't rock with him I'm gonna go hang with Nick Lewis because Nick is a stuff it was just everybody got along with everybody. Everybody was cool. And the crazy and the thing I think like Hank had such a good year. The defense really, I don't know about before I got there, but I know that 08 season, the defense believed in Hank. Like yeah. even though we had heard in the past, you know, he might he might not show up in the playoffs or he throw picks in the playoffs. We was on some. If he do, we better be there to get the ball back. Yeah. I don't care. Dude, that defense, that defense, man. You you look at that defense all the way across the board. I mean, Benjo, Charleston, like 
you and it, I remember one of the biggest things from OA in the offseason, I called Ted. I said, we need Juwan Armour. And he goes, well, oh, he's got a bad, he goes, he's got a bad attitude. And I said, well, Ted, I'm going to tell you the truth. Something about me you might not know. But if I was two and 16, I would have a bad attitude as well. <laughs> I said, that's a, that's a no brainer. I'm going to have a bad attitude if I go two and 16. That's right. That's right. So, and he, he called Juwan and verbally said that he was going to Montreal. He was close to signing Montreal. An hour from signing Montreal, Ted calls him. We get him to Calgary. And I told Juwan, I said, you come to Calgary? I was walking through Walmart in Texas. I said, if you come to, I said, if you come to Calgary, I promise you we'll win a great cup. Mm. Because I knew that our defense was young. Yep. We had a lot of dudes that could ball, but we just needed a leader. Yep. Right? We just I needed agree. somebody that can that when he bring that sledgehammer and he start talking, yes, we just needed somebody that can go out there and mm -hmm. just be that leader mm -hmm. in the middle. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what he was. He was that's what he was. He was that oh, dog in the defense because you could follow yep. him. Yep. I mean, we had guys like Simp that was on that team that was on the PR too, or yeah, you know, talking off the Simp roster. Was the best linebacker in Calgary history. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Um Malik guys, Jackson. Malik Jackson. Um what's the what's the um buddy that played for the bike? Tom Johnson. Tom Johnson. Tom was Ooh. on the practice squad that year. He he started in the league. For seven years. For seven years. <laughs> he, he on the practice squad with us. That's how look, Carp wasn't getting that much burn because remember Celine Rasheed came in. Yeah. So Carp started interchanging with me and stuff like that. Carp played four years in the league and started. Yeah. I remember when Carp, I remember when Carp and DA got in that man. fight on the sideline in Montreal and we had to call timeout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, man DA yeah, is crazy, Nick, because I'm up here at Harper, right? So Bluefield, where DA is by the corner. And man, people that I meet, man, they be like, you know, Dwight Anderson, my dog, man, they be like, man, that boy crazy. Everybody said, every <laughs> so DA didn't just pick this up when he came to Calgary. No, I'm hearing things when DA was in high school that that yeah. boy crazy, man. So, but yeah, man, that, that was real man, loud. That was the greatest accomplishment besides my kids being born and my wedding. The great cup was the greatest, most fulfilling feeling and accomplishment of my life. I've, I've always said that, you know, people here uh, that listen to this, they've probably heard me say this a couple of times, but I always say when you win a championship, it's like, it validates everything. Like all the shit mm -hmm. you went through, all the trouble you went through, all the failures, everything. It was like, I needed to go through that to, to be who I was today to accomplish this. Right. And right. there's so many people from different backgrounds. Right. You, you talk about Brett Ralph and, and, and Ryan Thelwell and, and you and yeah. all the people we talked about on the defense and Cope and Rambo and Joff and Hank and Cornish mm -hmm. and Cote, like all these people mm -hmm. from all these different backgrounds that come together for a common cause that in and get it done. And it can never be replaced. No. It, you, I, you, you, I forgot about Cornish. Cornish, what, what is he in Calgary? Like, is he all time leader rusher? He up no, there. he's he's like number three, I believe. That man, that man plays strictly special teams. 
That boy, he led the league in rushing in nine games one year. You see what I'm saying? He had like 1,509 games. <laughs> so, I mean, he put on some seasons that was like, you're not seeing people do that on the, you know. Yeah. Saying? And right. he's strictly special teams in 2007, right. 2008. He didn't start getting a burn until mm-hmm. like 10. So, right. you know, we look at these things, man, and just just the talent that we had. But, but like you said, it wasn't like it didn't no matter who mm-hmm. you were. We were all out. We was all we was all together. It was like there was that bond because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of issues with everything. Besides uh, Teo and Julian Battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was there for that. I was there for that one. My boy JB. Oh, man, I was there for that one. Oh, hey, man, that was but you know, you know, the, you know, the crazy part is they're throwing bottles at each other in the street. Mm-hmm. Middle street, 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, guess what? Nobody ever knows mm-hmm. about that until now. Right? Mm-hmm. So... It's, it's, it's really cool how we kept everything together in-house, too, right? That a lot of people would be yeah. like, oh, well, this team this team got this, this, and this. No, the good teams keep it in-house. Keep it in-house. What's the issue? We were so 2000... tight-knit, though. Yeah, go ahead. That would have never got out. We did that to get out. Yeah. 2009. You know? yeah. And then 2010. What led from the, to the departure? Like you go defensive player of the year team. Cause okay. So the people that don't know CFL, each team picks their MVP, um, office player of the year, defense player of the year, especially his player of the year, rookie of the year, lineman of the year. And then the, everybody votes out of those people, the league votes out of those people or the teams don't pick it. The, the media picks it. And then mm-hmm. And then the media votes who's going to be the nominee of the West, who's the East. But uh-huh. you were the team pick two years in a row, seven and eight, your first two full uh-huh. seasons. And then 2009 comes along. And then the departure in 2009 to 2010. What happened? Uh-huh. Me personally, I, I think um, my work ethic. And, and, and I started feeling myself. I don't think there's yeah, I still wanted to play football, but after we won the Great Cup, I ain't gonna hold you, Nick. After we won the Great Cup, I drank every day until we got mm. back to camp. I'm not exaggerating. Oh no, it's probably like six. I drank every day until we got back to camp. I was like 12% body fat when we got back. You were still on the Great Cup parade. Was I, Nick? <laughs> My wife kept saying at the time, she's my girl, but she kept saying, man, that was three months ago. What are we doing? Like, but everywhere I went, people were so happy. Remember, that was national televised game in the US. Yeah. Where I went, people were so proud of me, man. They didn't care if it was a CFL. They didn't care to see me win a great cup. Brad, when I tell you everywhere I went, it was free drinks. Let's take a shot. Let's do it. And cool the family. And then I came back 09. I was, I, was, I was out of shape. I don't know, man. I think me and me and Coach Jones butt had a couple of times. And before that time, like 08, me and Jones got along. Me and Coach Jones got along because well, I was making a lot of plays for one. Um, 
but we don't really had no issues as far as I think like he he was seeing the downward trend. Him and Corey, they were seeing the downward trend to me in 09. But you know, I'm yeah. I'm 20, I'm 25. You couldn't tell me nothing. Ain't yeah. no downward trend, you know. I'm still me, but I wasn't. And the funny thing is, man, I didn't have a bad season, but I just wasn't focused. And I started to see the right on the wall in the playoff game when they started switching me and Milt in and out and Sam. Yep. But that offseason, let me tell you first, that offseason. Milk Collins was on the man. That boy, one. that boy. That boy, that man was an animal. Um we me and my wife was in the bed one morning. We joking. Out and out. I said, man, Calgary, you mess around, call me and cut my lap, cut my ass. Nick, I lie to you not, bro. The next day, Coach Huff called me and was like. We're gonna uh, we're gonna need you to take a pay cut. If not, we're gonna have to release you. So you here go the ego, right, Nick? Pay yeah. Cut. Because they wanted to pay Browner, and he earned it. Yeah. So if you see a guy going like this, you got to start taking it out of his pockets. They felt like I was the guy going downhill. But you know, it's the ego. Two time defensive MVP. Not taking no pay cut, y'all tripping. All right, we're gonna have to release you. Fuck it, release me. Right? Now I'm not getting no calls. You know what I'm saying? Hamilton finally calls me. We'll bring you in. You know, we got Marquise Norton over here. Mind you, at the time, I didn't know who Marquise, I didn't know who Marquise Norton was. Yeah, because y'all don't y'all really watch defense and stuff. Right. So I didn't know who he was. I knew I knew TJ Hill because TJ played at Northeast. I knew TJ. I knew um, Corey Banks, and I knew Chip Cox. I didn't know nobody else. Right? I didn't know much. So, as when I got to Hamilton, um, I found out who he was. But and you know, oldest floor was there. Jamal. I knew Jamal Johnson was because yeah, one double. We was up for Player yeah. of the Year one double. So I knew he was, but. I hit the same thing again, Nick, where, like I was in Baltimore, I call my wife every day in camp and cry, say, I don't want to be here. Bro, I was so, I didn't know how good we had it in Calgary till I went there. I'm thinking, everybody see if, bro, let me tell you something. And I'm not knocking nobody. What I'm saying is, it's levels of this shit. Yeah. And when you talk about franchises in the CFL, top-notch franchise is Calgary. And I'm yeah. fortunate enough. I've heard stories about other franchises, how they treat their players and what's going on over there. Bro, when I say when the Calgary was A1 from the first day I walked in the door to the last day. And it, it was just, I realized how good I had it. If I had to go do, go do it all over again, Nick, man, I'd have been working out every day, grinding every day. Mind you, when I was in Calgary in 09, you know how many times I lifted? Three, two, two times the whole season. Mm, that's hard. You know, you know how much film I watched? No. 
I remember we, we was, me, this Carp, my roommate. Yeah. He said, bro, he said, bro, why you don't ever watch film when we come home? Right, once again, the ego, right? I'm the man. I said, man, I know what I'm doing, man. I never watched one DVD at home in the 09 season. And I think that's the biggest thing is to, to realize and rationalize that that you can you can see it and you know it, right? And to take ownership over it because mm-hmm. like for me, I always knew there were people coming for my job. I always helped people try to take my job because I knew when it came to competition, I could always rise to the top, mm-hmm. right? And that's how I stayed competitive and that's why I stayed in the, in the mindset but it's just it's just crazy to hear that you know um, for you to to take that you know to feel that into you know I'm pretty sure when you won that great cup when we won that great cup there was like a huge relief off of you from mm-hmm. everything that you went through mm-hmm. and then I- the complacency set in yep I've made it I've done it yep. And I've been successful early, and now yep. there's nothing stopping me from doing this for another ten years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mind you, Nick, we won a great cup. I think I was like 23. Yeah, you, I'm a baby, but in my mind, it's like I'm already at the top. Yeah, I'm defensive player of the year twice. I got the great cup. By the time I'm 23 years old, 24. Man, shit, I'm good. They ain't gonna have me right next 10 years. I done did all I need to do. Mind you, Keon behind me, hungry to the mother. He ain't played that much. Trying to get on. He hungry. And work. Keon work. He was working. Keon's gonna work. Yep. Big play Ray. Big he play Ray. Work. Keon was good from the day he came in. Yes, he was. You know what I'm saying? To even be yep. on that squad at 08. You better be making plays. Well, yep. You gotta be here. You know. You remember so, Jacoby Reinhardt? Yes. Remember Jacoby Reinhardt won Defensive Player of the Year. He was like the runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. Balled out. Then Brandon Browner yep. came and we released Jacoby, and then yep. he went to Montreal and he got released during the season and never played again. It's stories like that that yep. I see guys be great and then be gone. It's like, dude, way too much talent. But remember when BB came in, BB was like a pit bull off the leash. That boy was hungry. Yes. That boy was knocking people's heads off in practice, in the game, in the preseason game. I knew, and I played, remember, I was there 06 with Kobe. So I, I played with two games. I saw him. He was very talented. But I knew they was going to cut him after what I seen BB doing. And he was just on, he was, his hunger, bro. Remember, remember, that was the year when BB came in. He, had, he was in an altercation every day with somebody. Yeah. Ted, Ted Hiller told me, he goes, hey, we got something. He goes, wait till you see him. And this dude comes out, six foot three, you know, his knees touching as he walking. You know, he he if he 210, he, he 200 upper body, you know? <laughs> like, like this dude out here, I'm like, man. Oh. <laughs> Man. And then, you know, when Jones went to that matchup defense, y'all used to run. Mm-hmm. We used to play five-on-five on, five on defense and, and just play a lot of man-to-man. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, BB, he put BB on me at practice. So all our competes mm. is me and BB and his long arms kept slapping me in the face, grabbing my face mask, <laughs> doing all this. I'm like, damn, BB, come on, man. I ain't trying to fight you out here. You know, so it's, it's like, it's always the back and forth battles, man. And yeah. you know, we had a lot of fun with it. Me and you had it's, all the time. Oh yeah. It made me a better player because I knew if I could cover Nick Lewis, I could cover anybody that played the three. I cover anybody in the league. Yeah, that was my thing. If you could cover, in my view, Nick, you wasn't the fastest, but the craftiness and the strength you had, there was no receiver that I was gonna go against that was gonna be even close to you in that in that in that way in the hands you had. I remember but, when I got the I, I got the Hamilton, and the day number three was Dave Stout. Yep. Dave was a good receiver to them. But, bro, when Dave I tell you... Sticky style, man. He was a good receiver to them. When I tell you, Nick, that man never caught a pass on me. I had the best camp of my life in Hamilton and got cut. I don't think they want the controversy. They brought me back. I don't think they want the controversy with me and Marquis. Yeah. Uh, and he ended up with defensive player of the year that year. He had a hell of a year. Yeah. Hell of a year, but going against Dave Stallard when I when I left it, I, I got to go against Dave Stallard every day and not Nick Lewis. Man, that was a relief. <laughs> <laughs> no knock on him. What I'm saying is, like I said before, his levels to this shit. His levels. It was Nick Lewis and it, it, it didn't compare. It, it yeah. didn't compare. And I, I always felt like I was that hybrid over there, right? Because you had Claremont there, Fantuz there. You had Stala there. You had some of these bigger guys um, that, and I felt like I could do kind of both. I could power people. I could finesse people. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I was a better route runner than a lot of those guys. So it wasn't close. It wasn't you close. Know, so that was kind of my thing because remember back before when you first got there, that position was a true linebacker playing yeah. those bigger guys. It was, um, it was, um, what's his name? The brothers. Abdullah, it was um, Khalid. Yep, Khalid Abdullah, yeah. And I remember mm -hmm. my, like Michael Fletcher I, I and Toronto like and guys like that. Position with me. I felt like Crehan, when he saw my ability, he just, like he was the one who was like, his his kid could play the run and the pass. Cause remember yeah. Crehan had me in the box when it was two boxes. Yeah. It wasn't no you back, but he was in the box. You got a gap. I'm on some, what the hell is this? Um, <laughs> a gap. Oh man, I remember one time Murphy from BC, he cold cotton. Rob Murphy. Oh, I said, oh man, this, this, I ain't signed up for this, man. But um, yeah, you're right. It used to be like a real sand. Yeah. A uh, real sand. Then it became that hybrid position that has to do both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. It's such an important position now because mm -hmm. of the talent on the field and Man, just looking back at everything, like your whole journey, where you grew up from, talking about that earlier, to high school, to college, making your decisions you made, living what you live. We look back at it, man. What do you think about it? Man, I, I feel like I, I question some time is, and I don't really don't question it because it was such a glorious moment. Was in 07 
not going to Tampa Bay with, with no money but, and, but, and stay with Calgary because we end up in the Great Cup, baby. Yeah. Had we not won the Great Cup, I would have been on some, damn, I made the wrong move. I made the wrong move. But in my life, man, let me tell you something, man. If I, if I, God decided to take me tonight, Nick, I'd be telling my wife there, don't cry at my funeral. I lived a full, successful, I couldn't ask for no more. 100%. What more could you ask for? I can't That's ask for no more. That's why you got the kids. Bro, I had a great career since I was young, high school, college, Calgary. It was, man, look, man, my lounge, a restaurant going, my kids is successfully. If he take me tonight, Nick, y'all have a celebration. That boy lived a full life. He had fun. He's always smiling. I, I'm, it's not about how long you live, it's what you do with your time here. That's I it. feel like, I feel like I've accomplished a whole lot on and off the field and the lives I've touched from both. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and I think I speak for me, you and other people that have walked our path. I'm okay with the life I lived and how it turned out. I'm okay with it. I'm, yeah. I'm perfectly fine with it. Those decisions led you to who you are. Right. And, and allows you to be successful today. Right. Right. And I think right. that's, I think that's the important part, man. And there's such a message in, in just your story, you know, um, sharing things that you, you've never shared with anybody else on here. Um, people are going to hear that and it's going to change someone, mm. right. And decisions they're making and just to see that it's, it's, you can't take it for granted. Can't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yep. One of the things I've always prayed to God about or thank God for was the willing to work. Right. I will work. And that's mm -hmm. where when I went to Montreal and I got to play with SJ Green and and um, and those guys out there and Fred Stamps worked like even uh, all of us are older. We were the three hardest working guys out there on offense. Right. So um, we had some running backs to work, too. There was a, it was a hell of a backfield. But you know, we, we showed up and we worked mm -hmm. and that was, and I think that's what really ultimately, cause I would, I'd have been on the same path as you. If it wasn't for Copen Rambo and Marte Jenkins and, and those guys and Thelwell, mm -hmm. like bringing me along when I was younger, when I was 22 mm -hmm. and I got into the league being like, Hey, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I'd have went through the same situation because of the, because for me, when you have success, and you don't have to work as hard for it. Uh -huh. It's different. Right. Right. It's different. Right. I'm naturally talented. I, don't, right. I might not be the most talented person, but I can still get it done. Right. And, then, you know, but when you put that work to it, it, it just does something different, man. But I appreciate you coming on here, sharing your story. Talking no problem. About I, I always remember you as being a quiet guy. Yeah. yeah I, I was like that in college, though, too. I'm still to this day. People be like, when they come in my restaurant, they say, oh, you the ball. We never see you. Oh, you don't talk. I'm like, I don't got too much to say. <laughs> unless I know That's you, the crazy I ones. Like, like I, I, I don't, I don't, unless I know you because of my upbringing, right? And living with my aunt and mom and dad being divorced. And really my mom and dad was like, my aunt really raised me. You yeah. know, I really didn't trust people. Like, I ain't trust people. So I'm not going to be talking to you and, he ha ha, and I don't know you. I don't, that's not how I do. Even yep. like on the field, like when I was playing, I didn't talk a lot of trash 
because I was thankful for where I was at. You know, yes. I didn't feel like me talking, unless you talking to me, now that's a different story. I didn't feel like it was necessary to me because I was just thankful, happy for where I was at. You know what I'm saying? So I'm still like that to this day. Like, I just, you know, and, and, and you, you don't push me to the edge, I won't push you. But yeah, if I don't know you, I know Nick Lewis. I done spent a lot of time with Nick Lewis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We changed I cars. I let, I let you drive my Charger and you let me drive your Lexus. Yeah. <laughs> And now my baby, week. you know what I mean? So I know that I can yeah. talk to But you know, if ESPN called me today and be like, they want to do an interview with, you know, Stephen A. Smith, I'm looking at him, I ain't got too much to say to that man. I don't know him like that. Yeah, so, we're about to get it popping. We're gonna have you doing a lot more. Man, I appreciate you, man. You need anything, you let me know, brothers. It was a pleasure being on the show today. I appreciate you, man. It's always, it's always fun, man, we're doing this. It's the first one of season two. I could not start it no better with mm. not a better guest on the Lulu Logic podcast. And just to let y'all know, man, it's been, you know, my mother passed away last month or beginning of January. And, uh, you know, so we've been going through that, but now we're back. It's March. We're back. Season two of the Lulu Logic podcast. Stay tuned because we got a lot more coming soon.